Well, welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, people, um, the lovely Joanne moved in, you know, last week, as I said, she moved in from New Jersey out here, and and my, my I, I'm tired. I've been doing so much crap around the house. I'm not used to this, and it's there's it's not it's never ending story. And, and her moving van's not even here yet, so I have to get rid of a thousand CDs. And, and she's she's got like OCD, so it's like everything. I'm like I clean my closet. And she's like, well, this and this. And I'm glad she's out here, but I'm telling you, I think by the time I'm on the air next week, I'm going to be completely exhausted. And plus, we had my birthday, so we had to go out. And I went out. My roommate from college was in town last night, so I'm just I'm I'm dragging it. But I will give you a good performance. Today because I always do, but I'm just telling you, this moving in stuff it is pretty hard. But anyway, enough about me. We have a great guest today, and it was a few weeks ago when Dean Cameron was on. Uh, we were talking off air, and I always ask people, I said, hey, you know, can you give me a good guest? And he said, he told the story about how when he lived in, in uh, with this, my guest, Kathleen Wilhoit, with her and Eric Stoltz and all, and they lived down in the, down back in like Santa Monica or somewhere around there. And so I contacted her, and she was glad enough to come on. So thank you, Kathleen. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's uh, no, it's cool because it's just weird that like he was talking about that house. It was just it, it's amazing the talent that was in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's amazing the kind of group of people we all went to this one acting studio, and when I think about the people that were in our class, uh, I, they. They all went on to do great things. They all went on to have huge careers. I mean, it was a, just a, it was an extraordinary time. I, or the acting teachers had a great eye for talent. I don't, I don't know. Or not talent, luck. Well, <laughs> because it, I don't think talent always has everything to do with who gets to be successful and I, who doesn't. I agree with you on that. But it, it also might have been just because all you guys, you grew up in Santa Barbara. Yes. And you were up there. So there wasn't that cutthroat like Hollywood I mean maybe that may have been the reason it's like you know in Hollywood everyone gets here and you guys were actually versed before you went there you were you had you acted like a lot of times people just go hey your friend like even with comedy hey you're funny okay I'm gonna go to LA well it doesn't happen like that you just don't walk into LA and say here I am you have to have some acting chops right we we took theater very seriously in Santa Barbara and we had a lot of opportunities there was California Youth Theater that started out of Santa Barbara there was Santa Barbara Youth Theater there were every summer um, Alacama, there was all these different production groups that would put on these plays for that kids got to put on. So we put on major productions. Not only that, the city supports the theater. So when uh, when I, at school, I we did a fall drama, we did a spring musical, and then in the summer I did musicals. So but the, by the time I came down to Los Angeles, it was in 1982, I had, you know, maybe 14, 15 shows under my belt, you know, like worked in character shows like I'd played a lot of parts you know I had a lot of uh, it wasn't just like a lot of my classmates at USC I was in the drama program there the BFA they'd done one play right I I know what it feels like to when that or I know what a tech rehearsal was I mean I, I really had and I had a lot of confidence a lot of chutzpah you know which you know as you know not only does luck have a tremendous amount to do with it but so does Balls, right. <laughs> sheer oh, yeah. balls. Well, totally. you know? it's, it's, and I had a lot of balls, but this was long before I got beaten into submission. Now, <laughs> did, did you always want to act? Because I saw something on your website that you sang with the Carpenters in first grade. First of all, how did that happen? I mean, was it? I'm trying to think. Was it that song? It's the real thing. I don't know. Is that one of their songs? La 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 la. la how they pick la, you though? La, la. I mean, you're in first grade. Yeah, in choir. Uh, I went to my church choir. I always sang in the church choir, and the the. Uh, the choir director was also the choir director at the elementary school. And I guess somebody from the Santa Barbara County Bowl had contacted her 
the choir director, Pam McClendon, to create a little chorus for the Carpenters' Sing, Sing a Song, Sing a Love. Right. Remember that song? And uh, and that was it. Yeah, that was... Um, but, you know, I also think that uh, either you're... I always say there's no people like show people. Like, I think people kind of come out of the shoot being a show person or a not a show person. My kids, I don't see it. I, I, I know what talented kid actors are i've worked with them um but with my children i don't see that same hunger that same passion that i see in a lot of these um in a, in a lot of kids that are show people now i had that kind of thing at recess in the fifth grade we were choreographing numbers and, and creating three-part harmony that's what i did for fun with my three friends i was in the boogie woogie bugle girls and then in high in junior high school we did plays we choreographed we still did the boogie woogie bugle girls we still did you know i was writing songs it was just like in me and i i, I was driven to do it i was compelled to do it and um so I feel like that had a lot to do with why people like Dean and myself and Eric and Tony Edwards. I don't know if you mentioned Tony. Talking and, about Tony uh, from, uh, uh, was a comic. Wait. Tony Edwards? Yeah. Uh, was a comic? There's another Tony Edwards. Is there comic another comic? Who was, who was on my show. Who oh, used, funny. He used that... to work out like he lives in uh, North Hollywood. Okay, so Tony Edwards, the one that I know as Tony, had oh, to Anthony change his Edwards. name to oh, Anthony okay. Edwards. All right, okay, yeah. No, he said because that. probably a year Tony. Okay, that's funny. Because in the Screen Actors Guild, you can't have two names, and there was no one with the name of Kathleen Wilhoit. Well, that's, that's <laughs> I know. Well, it's good, and it's it's very it's a great smelling. So I figured you just looking at it, it's Wilhoit, but you never know because people out here, it's like they they spell their name a certain way, and it's like so that's your trashy. name Steve. Like if someone spent my name in S T E E F. Yeah, like, I don't like that. Step, like, that pisses me off. It's like my name's Angel A N J. A-L. It's like, no, it's not. It's Angel. It doesn't make sense. No, I think that's terrible. I have always been opposed to stupid spelling. It bugs it, me. It pisses me off. Me too. Except my Why? older brother. My older brother, you know, my older brother did Tom because he was a jewelry designer. And my, he's, was he Thom? I don't no, like no, Thom. I know, but he did T-H-O-M. But before anyone did it. So he did it. He did it. My mom suggested it. This is now that we're talking. This is in 1983. So people weren't changing it then. He lived in New York City. And it was Thomas Spencer Cooper III was his name. Well, that's not a good jewelry. You're not going to. That sounds like a lawyer. It doesn't sound like a jewelry designer. Like, I'm going to get my engagement ring from Thomas Spencer Cooper. No, Tom Cooper. Yeah, but, you know. But he was Thom. Yeah, but, you know. Well, see, now I would I would, I would, would drop the H. Uh, well, you know, that's but that's just, just my Tom. opinion. But that's yeah, like me. I go by Steve, S-T-E-V-E. Oh, thank God. Yeah, exactly. So now, did, did were your parents uh, acting people? I mean, what made you gravitate towards it? I mean, you, you, it seems you're interested. I mean, in first grade, you're on stage at the Santa Barbara Ball. Most people in first grade are eating paste. Ah! <laughs> I mean, you're in first grade. You're, but did did your parents encourage you to be, or did, were they in the field? Or again, I got the philosophy that you come out of the shoot like I gotta be me. Look at me, look at me. Like my mom used to make a joke. My first words were "Watch me," you know. Okay. <laughs> Either you got the Christmas tree lights around your head, and you're that guy, or you're the guy who's going, "Yay, look at you." You're the other guy. You're there's two volleyball. There's two sides to the volleyball uh, in the volleyball game. The Actors and the performers on one side and on the other side, the audience member people. That's true. But the thing about the Christmas lights in your head, what always pissed me off is when people say the guy's a life of his party and he puts like a lampshade on your head. That was an old thing. I've never seen anyone do that. And I think if, if anyone put a lampshade on their head at one of my parties, I would make them leave. <laughs> because it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's like why would you it's just but you know. So, you know what I'm saying though, like you're that desperate for attention, you'll put the lampshade on on your head. Right. And you got nothing to well 
I wish I could tell you I've never had a lampshade on, on my head, but I, I had uh, some dark years, and I perhaps uh, donned a lampshade or two. Okay, well, I'm just saying. Hey, it's all right. I don't hold it against <laughs> you, but we don't know if it's true, so yeah. you, you, you don't remember it. And Thank that's God. Fine. We all forget stuff like that. See, that's know. a healthy that's a healthy thing about blackouts, you know. And then also, you know, thank God there was no TMZ following. Oh God, yeah, isn't around. it amazing now? It's like you think. I mean, and there was no internet or Facebook. Now it's like if you're if you're famous and you passed out somewhere, someone would take a picture. It'd be on Twitter. It'd be on Facebook, oh. and then it would just be and then TMZ. How embarrassing! It's, it's awful. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it sucks. I think it is so cruel. You know, the internet bullying, you know, with the like they did it in Carrie, which I thought was the only smart thing about the whole remake of the movie Carrie. You saw it. Oh, what a pile of steaming barf. But they, uh, the only smart thing about the remake of Carrie was the usage of the internet bullying. They, you know, where they, they uh, made a, a, a cell phone film of Carrie getting pelted by the tampons. Okay. And then they put it up at the prom. I thought that was, that was a good touch because I think that's what the reality is. That, uh, that's how, that's what kids have to deal with. with. It's crazy. And now it happened in the NFL. This big guy gets bullied and and they suspended this guy. I want to hear about that. I just heard the tail end of that story. This guy was a lineman. And I guess a lot of, a lot of pro football players, when you're a rookie or whatever, they, it's their hazing where they'll make you, you know, they'll make you buy dinner and they order everything. So it ends up being like a $25,000 dinner or whatever. But I guess they were just bullying this guy, bullying this guy, and the guy just left practice. And then the other guy who was doing it got suspended because it was detrimental to the team. But then also the, all like these, these voicemails came out in Texas where he was making really hardcore uh, racial slurs. It was a white guy? Yeah. And it's uh, oh. and his name's Incognito, which is so funny because it's not incognito. Nothing at all. incognito about it. That's despicable. It's crazy. Yeah, but that's, that's the life we live in. So now you moved you moved to L.A. Okay. from Santa Barbara. Yeah. Now you're doing a lot of production out there, and it's '82 when you move, right? Yeah. Okay. So you're you're 18, 17, 18. Right. Were you were you familiar with L.A. Were you scared, or was it good because you knew those guys? Were any of those guys up here already? Was uh, Eric or Dean or any of them already living in L.A.? Well, ignorance is bliss. Is absolute bliss when you're 18 years old. I was bulletproof. I had applied to USC, and the only reason I applied there was because Eric went there. Eric Stoltz and I was like, "Well, he's doing pretty good. I'll just follow that dude." Tony went there. Uh, Anthony Edwards. So I figured I'd just do that. I knew Dean had lived, had moved down. And these guys were my buddies. And um, it's it's interesting now because I have an 18-year-old and he's all his friends are applying for schools. Back when we applied, the, I only applied to USC. Uh, went down for the audition. That was the only thing that I saw about the school. I come from, a, I'm a third generation dropout. My grandfather dropped out of SC. My father dropped out okay. of SC. So um, I figured it was a fine place for me to go, my dad said. But it wasn't like what the kids do today where they tour the dorms and they go through on a tour through the classes. Some schools will even let the kids stay there for a few days. It's different. I mean, when it's I went to college, so I went to a Jersey State School and Did there you? was three state schools in New Jersey. I knew my parents were making me pay two years. So I picked out the schools that I figure if I can work, I can afford. And yeah, I didn't go down. I sat there and I... And I went to a very cool school called Richard Stockton in New Jersey, and it was in the middle of the Pine Barrens. It was like it's it was by itself. What's funny is my girlfriend had just moved out. We went to college together, but we didn't see each other for so many years. And then we connected over booking me for a comedy show. And then she didn't book me, but we started talking because her friend knew married one of my friends. And then we just hit it off. I mean, we're talking. I 
haven't seen her since 1990. And then for the last year and a half, I'm going back and forth back east. So now she just moved up. But it was that kind of college. When you went there, it was cool. It was like, you didn't, you didn't, I mean, you know, you look at it and you go, I just want to get in college. I just want to get away from my damn parents. I don't care. I don't have to take a tour. And that like ruins it. Because then what if you go and you take a tour and you have this crazy party night and then you get there, school sucks and you go, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of uh, dorks. Right. I had no net. Right. You, you bet I was good at that audition. I had nothing else to do. Nothing going on. So what do they do in the audition? So you audition for the theater department. Did you, do you have, you, you do, you sang a lot. Did you do the musical theater or what, what would they ask you to do in an audition for like an acting school? I mean, for a college, what do they ask? Uh, they asked for a dramatic monologue and I did something from, um, it was a series of monologues about the Vietnam war. Can't remember the name of it, but I just remembered I got to say one, two, three, four, we don't want your effing war. And okay. I thought that was very Cool. And then you do a comedy monologue, and I did a piece from Twelfth Night, Shakespeare, because you also want to put a classical piece in there. And then I sang a song from The Baker's Wife, uh, um, you know, I think it was like Meadowlark or okay. something. And uh, like I said, I had no net, and I just dr- drove down to SC uh, to um, and auditioned. And Drove back to Santa Barbara, and the next thing I know, I got a big packet, and I was I was ready to go. So I come down to Los Angeles, and I'm here for three weeks. Eric and Tony and Dean's manager, this guy Gary Goddard, had seen me and do a couple plays in Santa Barbara. Somebody had called him to say, hey, do you know of any comic actress, comedic uh, actresses who could play 16? He's like, yeah, I got the perfect chick for you. And I went in and tried out for a private school for girls. It was three weeks into my, I'd been at SC for three weeks and uh, got the gig. So I tried out on a Friday and rolled into work on a Monday for whatever, a couple months shooting a film. They gave me college credit at the time for all my classes. The teachers resented it. Um, Still, they had this policy for their working actors that they could get credit for their classes anyway so what happened was i realized the huge disparity between what i was learning in the classroom versus what i wanted to do uh for a living i was like i'm gonna go to do that so i split um i finished out the year at sc and then um i was terrified and then Dean's like, I need a roommate. So uh, I uh, moved in with Dean. And uh, that was great because he's like, I don't go to college. You don't have to go to college. You just, just work, man. Right. Nobody's going to check to see whether you got a degree uh, in order to cast you in private school for girls. You know, if you can do the cheer properly. Now, well, who, who is in private school for girls? Phoebe Cates, okay. Matthew Modine, Jonathan Prince, Carrie Lizer, who's now my best friend. We've been best friends ever since. I've probably seen them. It's so, it's, you see so many movies. It's like the other night um, I was flipping around Encore. I watched football and me and my girlfriend went home. And uh, Valley Girl was on, and I forgot like how great of a movie that is. And you forget those '80s movies, and they're they're just so good. And it's funny because you know you mentioned Eric was your roommate. I was just saying one of the most underrated John Hughes movies is Some Kind of Wonderful with Eric Stoltz. It's just a great, great movie. I tried out for that, and Eric was never my roommate. Just to be okay, clear. okay. Eric was Dean's roommate. Dean was was my roommate. Okay, but yeah, no, I it's no, I just just to set the record straight. Oh, yeah, I, I, I never lived with Eric, but um, yeah, so. Dean, yeah, Dean, Dean, uh, Dean, and I lived together for years. We went to an acting school together, which is uh, the Loft Studio with Peggy Fury and Bill Trailer. And I remember going in on that interview where they just sit and talk to you. 
And after that, they they allow you to pay them money to teach you acting kind of thing. And this was after private school? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Was it after? Yes, it was. Absolutely. So you already had credit. So it must be yeah. weird. I think it must be weird sometimes when, when you're, you know, you're doing, you get, you're in a movie. I mean, you're out here for three weeks and you get a movie, which first of all, if most people now, especially now, they be like, what the hell? You know, people get pissed instead of embracing that. But it must be weird for like someone to sit there and want to, when you go in to teach and it's, you're sitting there going, I- I've been in more stuff than this person. I mean, sometimes it must be, I don't know how sometimes teachers handle that. Oh, that's a great uh, comment because at the school that Dean and I went to, it was 100% uncool to brag about your gigs. Okay. It was so uncool that if you were working with Scorsese, I mean, Sean Penn was in our class, so was Crispin Glover, Meg Ryan, you know, these, are like, uh, what was the other dudes? I just did a movie with him. Anyway, you would say, so what have you been up to? We haven't seen you. You'd say, oh, I was working. But you always downplayed it. You you were just the biggest dork on, uh, ever if you were to brag about your acting That's jobs. good, though. That's why you should working, be. had a gig. You know, you had to play it down. Which, you know, frankly, because of the competitive nature of acting, I think that's a brilliant way to deal with it. Because it became about the work that you did. The prestige in the class became about the work that you did in the class. If you kicked ass on your Tennessee Williams scene, uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, that's where you get all your sunshine. Okay. It wasn't from Hollywood because there was also this, I think, unspoken understanding about how bullshit, you know, unpleasant. Oh, you can't? Just no bullshit. F-bombs. That's besides it. Oh, okay. It. Ho- Hollywood is. It, and the fact that the, like, I feel like one thing I've learned in my bone marrow is the best people don't get the parts. So that when you, they stand up and get their Academy Awards, that's great. I think that they should also at least acknowledge how lucky they are. Because for every Dustin Hoffman's Meryl Streep, there's probably there's a thousand chicks that could do what she does. Right. It's not rocket science acting. She did a, She's fabulous. One of my all-time favorites. I will watch her in anything. Um, but I also know that acting is the kind of thing that... Um, it ha- the success of whether or not somebody's going to get acknowledged has everything to do with the right project at the right time with the with the right person and that's going to depend on the right marketing team the right um what the the general population is hungering for you know having a hunger for in terms of what they're ready to to devour there's brilliant performances that no one ever sees because a studio buries the film right. because for whatever reason you know they're afraid to release it because it takes too big of a risk. And then they'll release something that's a huge risk, and that's this huge success. So the uh, I actually get kind of bugged and depressed when I see actors flex their muscles and actually think they're superior. They're of a superior talent because they have had uh, uh, tremendous opportunities. And guys like, you know, George Clooney, I worked with 100 years ago. I've known him forever. He knows. He knows how lucky he is. He knows how great he is. He knows how to put together a production company and a film, and he hangs on to his old loyal friends. I mean, I got tremendous respect for that dude. He knows how lucky he is, and he's enjoying the shit out of it, seems to me. Right. Well, See, I haven't time talked to him since the, whatever, years, years and years. But it, I watch him, and I applaud him, and I'm, I'm thrilled for him because of 
also he knows how charming he is and 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 i think uh he's just living the life exactly. god bless him he certainly pounded the pavement a lot for that's a they say they said he was like in so many uh like, like pilots that just never got picked up yes. like it was like tons of them i remember he was on roseanne in the very beginning oh he was he like, he played like <laughs> her boss and like no one knew and then he disappeared no one knew who you know he was but uh so now i'm looking at your your resume here and uh after you got out, when, when did you get done with the loft? Was that continually, did you continually work at the loft, that's what the school was called? The yes. School? I, did, I stayed at the loft for years. I think probably like four or five years into my 20s because obviously that was a, a, a private acting class, basically. We would go four days a week, I think from 12 to 2. And then you'd rehearse your scenes. And it was a lifestyle thing. We would all hang out together on the weekends. We'd party together. We... Um, and it became, it, it definitely filled up your life that, um, Peggy Fury and Bill Trailer would have you go out to museums and, and like, uh, try on the shoes of your characters, kind of method acting, but they'd have you go out and live life, like go out there and experience life and then bring it into your characters and on stage. And that's, that's, uh, was very exciting. It was very inspiring. And I feel very proud of, the style of acting like the roots uh my roots my acting roots I, I feel very proud of that and susan trailer who's peggy and bill trailer's daughter is my friend today coincidentally her oldest boy and my oldest boy are best friends and her daughter and my daughter are best friends it's That's just so like cool. a weird thing we had kids at the same time That's cool though. and so i see her all the time she's awesome and just an amazing actress and talent well, yeah, I mean, so earlier, you look at your resume, you have some really cool stuff on here. I mean, it, Really? I, mean, I get no, embarrassed about no, it. I feel I, like I got nothing to brag about. Quarterback well, Princess? <laughs> Come on. Every guy loved that movie. Helen Hunt. <laughs> Helen Hunt. No, and I'm looking, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking because I'm, I'm like one of these people that loves, like, I love that classic. I remember all that stuff. I'm, and I've like, as, I was out to dinner with my old roommate from college last uh, last night. And because uh, he's a pilot, he's in a, from UPS, so he had a four day stay here. And he's telling my girlfriend how he goes, he remembers everything, but I don't remember like two weeks ago. I can't remember, but give me what years. But I'm looking at it, and it's like the Jeffersons and, and, and all this stuff. It's so awesome. I'm, I'm looking through. It's like it's it's so cool. I mean, it must have been cool to be in those because you're a part of a lot of cool shows. I mean, the Jeffersons, like Cagney and Lacey. They're you're on things that are they're legendary shows. Yeah, I was on Johnny Carson twice. You know, Quarterback Princess, Helen Hunt, uh, Tim Robbins was in that. Um, there's like a whole bunch of people okay. that came out of that. Helen on that movie taught me one of the great things you learn as a as a actress which is uh it's not love it's location you know when you go on location the the proximity principle can can come into play and you you know for she and i were just like instantly just i just adored her we were fast 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 friends and then uh, when the film was over uh she said you got to call me when we get back to la i said i'm not gonna of course I'll call you. I'll call. She goes, no, I'm telling you, you have to like really pick up the phone and call me or I'm going to call you, right? So we come back to L.A., and it was a little bit of a heavier phone call. Like, I was like, oh, she's not going to, I'm not, I'm a small potato, whatever. But I did call her, and we have been friends ever since, See, you know, cool. ups but and downs, but we've I, been friends. You know, I think since. that happens a lot. And, you know, and it's so funny when you do something, even like in comedy, when you be on the road with someone, and you wouldn't see that person for seven months and then you'd be booked in a gig with him or her and you'd be like wow that's cool and then you just talk like nothing ever passed yeah that's real friendship i think 
It's crazy. I have that with Dean. I have, there's we've been like had long stretches of time. He got married and has a baby. I've got married. I got three kids, and there's been long stretches of time. But when I'm with Dean and he and I are Dean Cameron, when Dean and I are together one on one, we are back. It's no different than whether you know we're 18 years old or whatever. We are just instantly. He's just somebody whose process fascinates me. So smart. So interesting and we always get it and politically we're on far different ends of the spectrum and i just love the way he throws himself into everything that he's interested in and now it's parenting and you know it's cool yeah we were talking about he's a great guy yeah now you were in cop rock we're talking about next year now what was that like because that that was like if people if you don't remember there was a show cop rock now now it would work now because because it was, and the funny thing is, it wasn't crap. It had a great cast, but it, it, the idea of Nolan Hannah, now there's so much crap on TV that, I mean, there is. I mean, I've got some of this stuff. I, I look at it and I go, I'm flipping around and I, they just charter it in Burbank. They just sat there and I have all these new HD channels and I'm going, what? What? I'm like, redneck, hand, cat, crawling, like stuff. <laughs> it's like weirdest titles and you're like, and but people watch them. But Cop Rock now was a musical about police, right? And now, how many, it was, it got really promoted, I think, when it came out. And how many episodes did it last, you know? Not many. I'm going to say maybe one season, six, maybe eight. I don't know. It got, it got panned. Now, was, was your role a big role in it? You're Patricia Spence, as I see the name. So ah, I, that's great. I didn't know the name. Um, my role wasn't necessarily a large role. I wasn't a series regular. I was a guest, uh, I guess it was a guest gig, but, um, it is the thing that I probably get recognized and appreciated uh, the most of, of, of many. Really? Of, yeah, I, not, I, not not more than ER. We'll get to no ER. ER, I, I get it. That's probably the number one thing. But um, but cop rock uh, people will like they go on and on like that. For it's a it's an interesting story. I sing a Randy Newman song on a bus bench. Somebody had cat had sent their infant child up for the audition to play the part of the crack baby. You can imagine who won that title role, the crack baby role. It was a funny looking kid. Right. Cute as hell. <laughs> That's just funny. Like, but like who's, read the breakdowns. Okay, we need a crack baby. We need a crack baby. <laughs> So as some mother was like, you know who would be good? Right. <laughs> <laughs> little Barney. So they bring little Barney. I don't know who the kid was. But anyway, so I, they put a, a brand new baby in my arms. We're shooting in the middle of uh, downtown L.A. Um, Which back then wasn't nice. No, it was it was a rough area. And it was a huge dolly shot. The sun was going down. They wanted to get this. I had to sing the whole song live. They had the whole sound, uh, all of the orchestration, the 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 music. They had a whole trailer. They did it live. There was no pre-recorded anything. I sit down on the bench. They hand me the baby, and I and I hear I've got a little bug in my ear, and I hear the track. So I'm on the right key, and I start singing the song. Um, had the name of the director. He was so sweet it's like i can't believe his name is escaping me anyway directors on the the huge doll or what is it called the crane okay it's on this huge crane and he's he's action i said close your eyes now little girl 
and I'm singing to this baby, doing the whole thing, emoting, because I'm going to give my baby up for crack. And then the music swells. They're coming down, it's, and the music swells, and the kid startles and goes like, oh, it makes like a funny face, and it tickled my funny bone. <laughs> so I smile. I start laughing. I look up at Greg, Gregory Hobbit, Hobbit, Gregory Hamlet, whatever. I look up at the director. He gives me the motion like, keep going, keep going. Go to sleep. But I got tears streaming down my face. My little baby. And I'm singing to this baby. And then uh, I I finished the whole song. And I never yelled cut or anything. But, but, you know, I had that moment. That's the moment. This is why I know being on film is not an actor's medium. That is the moment that people comment on about how deep and I it you had that that little laughter, that little smile, the whole thing and in my mind I think like what was what was my motivation? I was looking at the director like Jesus Christ, you going to cut this or what? <laughs> you know the kid, come on. Like you didn't see that? That was funny. Kind of like crossed his eyes and it's the baby startled. But that's the moment. See, so that's that's weird. There's the there's an in, inside scoop story. Now, did you get cast because you sang? I mean, was that the first time you actually sang in a in a besides being on stage? Is the first time you sang in TV or in a movie for you? I don't think so. You know, I've been singing and writing songs since this. No, I said was, was it the first time in a TV show or film you um, actually got I, to sing, and that must have made you happy that you could actually sing in a TV yeah, show. Yeah, but I was so bulletproof. I took everything for granted. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna sing. I sing. I sing my ass off. Yeah, you know what I mean. I sang. I, I tried to muscle my songs in every movie I ever did, just because I was able to do that. Now. Not so much. And now, I've, like I said, I got beaten into humility and uh, submission. Please hire me, please. Now, after Cop Rock, you did L.A. Law. Yeah. Now that I mean, now you're you're it's, poor man's Amanda Plummer. Yeah. Was that, yeah. Is thank that what, you. She got the Emmy. I didn't. Oh, for for what show? She was, she got the Emmy as uh, the uh, developmentally disabled girl in uh, L.A. Law. She got an Emmy, not me. Never. Well, that's all right. My invitations lost every year. Have you have you ever been to the Emmys? Oh yeah, with my best friend Carrie Lizer from private school. She's gone on. She's a showrunner. She created the show, The New Adventures of Old Christine. Okay, which is she's a, a writer, very, very good show. Yeah, so she she threw me a bone, as they say, and I I went to the Emmys with her. So you're doing all like, well, you're doing all the stuff now, and you're mad about you and it's, but shows I love. And uh, how did ER come about? Did it come about uh, come about because? Because you knew Tony, or were you from the beginning of the show? Or I know you played, uh, I think, Sherry Stringfield's sister. Is that who you played? Yes. In ER. Now, was that because the producers knew you, or someone said, hey, I think she'd be good for this part, or was it just, an, a, just a random audition? Uh, you know, I believe that I had a spectacular manager. His name was Alan Summers. And again, as my whole life has, it should be like, boy, I wish I knew now what I, I wish I knew then what I know now. But I think Alan Summers was a tremendous manager for me, and I didn't appreciate it at the time. And he put he sent me up on like the, the a wide variety of 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 auditions. And uh, that audition, I auditioned like a regular old Schmendrick, you know, I think you know for John Wells. And uh, but the story for me on that particular show was it was the only audition I've ever been in, where I looked around the room at the other girls trying out for the part. And I felt sorry for them because I knew this one was mine. Okay. It was just a weird, and I, like I said, I can't say that about any other job, and I've probably been on thousands, 
thousands of auditions. That job I knew was mine. And um, and I think I, I rehearsed it with that intention. I think because also I have a deep understanding of the personality um, traits in uh, chemically dependent people. I have... Ex- ex- I have a lot of experience on the field of chemical dependency. And so I felt like I had a hook into that girl like nobody else in that room was going to be able to do. And so I think I brought that kind of chutzpah and confidence into the audition and crushed it and took it, you know. And every time I'd get a new script for that part, I felt like those words just flew out of my mouth where it's just as right as rain for me to be saying. It was a beautiful melding of casting and writing and, again, lightning striking uh, at the right time, being in the right place at the right time. Well, that was such a big show. And it's so funny. I watched the show in the beginning. And the other thing for me with the problems like shows like that and then there was Chicago Hope is I'm like a wuss. I just I can't watch when they do the opera. I know it's fake. I know they're not cutting someone open. If, if I watch like a thing on like a, a Discovery Channel and they're doing an operation, I can watch that. But I, that stuff, I just, I turn my head. And it's not that I'm squeamish. Did you, have to, did you ever see anything like in that show? I mean, because you weren't a doctor. You played her sister. But did you ever have to like, were you ever on set where they actually... Did the opera see the stuff and it does does it look real? No, it's so stupid fake. The only thing that was hilarious, there was a, a rubber baby that um, George used to clown around with. He's fun to work with. I've heard he's a great uh, practical joker. Yeah, and he would press the chin down on the rubber baby and he goes, look, Tony Edwards. <laughs> I thought that was so freaking funny. That was a little inside story. Um, you know, whatever. It made me laugh. Um so yeah, no, that's just all just showbiz. That's like big bottles of fake blood, and I don't, I don't. Uh, that's showbiz. I, even with my kids, like blood and guts and stuff. That's for me not really the thing that I think is a, as upsetting as probably ruthless killing without any consequences. Like those kinds of things, I think are detrimental for little kids to see. But yeah, I think yeah. But it's... operations and blood and gore. I mean, I guess uh, you know. I, Maybe I've been around it or something. I also have a sick fascination and have been to a few autopsies, so I don't have actual autopsies. Have you actually always had that fascination, or is it just something that came after you did ER because you're around a doctor's thing? Or or how does someone get an autopsy fascination? I mean, I had a fascination with baseball cards when I was a kid, but autopsies, like, and the funny thing is, I actually knew this kid and his sister, and I saw his sister at our 30th high school reunion. She looked really good. They owned a, a funeral home, the plot funeral home, and I was thinking it's like it must have been just crazy waking i mean growing up because like they lived in the house and i know i mean no one's gonna come out and woo, nothing none of that's crap gonna happen but i that would always just scare me i mean how did you get into the, the fascination with autopsies i mean did it just one day it just happened well i i had a friend who had a guy you know what i mean guy got a guy if you ever want to see check it out you can come with me you know you have to be super respectful because whatever and i can't name names but uh i had a i got a guy okay. down at the <laughs> coroner's office and um and i got to observe some of these things the fast i think that um okay you can come out of the shoot uh look at me look at me look at me uh, I, uh actor type of person um and you also can come out of the shoot of I like to waltz on the dark side. You know, I recently befriended this girl, Jen Lynch, who's David Lynch's daughter. She's a director. And one of the things that's been so fun about our newfound friendship is uh, um, 
both like I found another one like me who likes some sick shit. You know what I mean? And she and I are like, oh, yes, you know, we have like we exchange ideas, and and I I I just think it's interesting. You know, it's the the dark uh, that dark stuff just makes the light stuff so great. The thing is about being around dead people is the overwhelming realization of what that the soul is gone. It's a slab. It's a slab of meat. Right. They are not there. That and so I think that the scary thing is if you assume that their souls are floating around those little empty shell, you know, meat shells. You know what I mean? They're they're not there when you're looking at these dead bodies. Um, I like the term meat shells. That's, that's a really good term. I love that term, meat shells. Yeah. That's that's perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, they're the yeah the so so that makes it less scary and you you know they've got a ba- ba- baseball team the court at the corner's office you know that they're like guys are just sweeping up like hey what's up you know sewing dead bodies up hi i remember one guy he was sewing a guy up after an autopsy and he flapped down it, it was just the the head was empty the brain was out of the skull you know the they put it in a bucket down by their feet and the brain was out and then he um he was done they were done looking at the organs or i guess they were going to test the organs or something anyway it was this moment where he I, I didn't think that there was a face on this guy and then he flapped down his face from his from his, the top of it's like it, it was um was it peeled like out, it's just... yeah it was peeled back <laughs> he flapped down his face and it sort of like bounced a little bit when it landed on the chin and then he sewed it up like what's up you know there's music playing and suddenly you know what was like a faceless empty cranium or cranium i guess i guess yeah. was now a human like <laughs> uh, that was somebody's brother and somebody's son somebody's uncle I guess it's, it's so weird i guess for them it's just a job like for me i talking to people some people say how can you talk to people for you know an hour just you know with nothing it's i i know what to how to do it but for them that's what they do and i guess to them it's like i mean their life they probably leave i'm sure they don't take home work with them you know it's like they don't probably go to their wife hey you know i had the cranium and the head flap and no the, yeah and the, and the meat the meat what is it called the meat, meat shell the meat shell <laughs> it's like hey uh, you know don't, i don't that lamb looks like the meat shell that's not gonna happen that's the thing that bugs me about a lot of some of these procedural shows is that i know it's boring for the actors to walk through the procedural stuff and all the guest stars get all the meat and potatoes they get all the juice they get all the emotional stuff these are these are ultimate events in the guest starring characters lives but for guys that are are going to work as detectives i think it's a mistake as an actor to go in there with a bunch of emotions like it's a job dude it is a job yeah you deal with criminals every single day that to me is way more compelling the the which they do on house right the doctor that uh, is, is like you know like doesn't have an emotional investment i think that's really an interesting thing that they they are starting to shine a light on but boy do i hate it when people are you know somebody's in a freaking um uh interrogation and the interrogators like uh, weeping and when you walked into the room what did you say to him you know like that's just such hackney crap yeah, i hate that it is and i have a friend who's a detective and i've talked about it with him and it's like it's so funny because they watch tv and when you watch tv you think that these people are they work 19 hours a day 
No, they work their hours, and if it's a case, then they have to work. They do a shift, but it's like it's the same thing. It's like no, you know that there's not. They don't sleep in the cots because the case has gone long, and they don't do that at the detective place. They sit there and they work, and then another. It's a shift work, just like a restaurant. It's if you're a waiter, you have an eight hour shift, and if it's busy, and they don't, they're sort of you stay on. But that it's just so funny, and I'm sure that it's they like, yeah, it's they have they take they don't take the stuff home. Well, the most you would go crazy. There's a really interesting show on A and E called The First Forty Eight. You ever watch that? No, my girlfriend likes that. It's an interesting show. My I my husband used to be into it. I'm still deeply into it, and then he felt like it got too depressing. So what? But it is interesting to me because again, my dark side. I I think it is fascinating when they're able to. Um, I don't know, just the whole, it's so dark murder. I mean, it's just nothing more heinous. Well, there's a pretty good show on TNT called Cold Justice. Oh, yeah? What is- it's, it's about um, this, this lady who's, one's a uh, detective, one's a lawyer, and they go and they get these cold cases that, I mean, that, you know, they're, it, they're usually in small towns, so the, the, the detectives are just, you know, clueless. I mean, they don't really know what's going on. And they go back and they retrace everything. And, and it's really cool because they go back and they see, you know, like this guy was like, I never, I never knew where that person lived. But then his girlfriend's like, well, you know, we drove by there and they showed how the route came in and how the killer would have got in. It's very interesting. I think they just renewed it for a second season. They just had a marathon. That's great. It's, that's it's, sounds it's, right it's down my alley. And they're both the real people. Like this lady's never, like she opens all, she's never lost a case. And she's wow. they're Southern. And then the other one is a detective. Then they actually work with the detectives in that town who sometimes they think the place shouldn't should have been closed and they give and they show the interrogation you know and it's always the guys like no i didn't do that and it's the same but it's not like tv it's like it's very they don't scream at the people like you said it's just it's it's very good you should watch it well sometimes they do i think when they really sense that that might be an effective technique to get what they want what i'm opposed to is the i think actors needing to show their ability to emote because they're bored um, going in there and then nobody can direct them to bring in any kind of semblance of reality because they are big stars. Like the um, system is a little bit broken in that way because actors, the way we're trained, we're supposed to create our characters through the written word. That is the holy, that's the holy that's God, right? right? The written word. Then you create your character through what's right, the, the writing. And then you have to trust a director that they're going to shape the scene in a way that uh, is going to best communicate the writer's vision. What happens in television is the peop- the top of the pyramid is housed with t- network executives and, and actors. <laughs> and then comes the writing, which, you know, the good shows... The Wire, you know, some of the, you know, Homeland, the writer becomes, is at the top of that pyramid. And that's why those shows work because the system is set up properly. It's not the stars that the, we are not actors are marionettes. You train, you hope you're great. You hope you get a great part, but if you don't have a good script, you're dead in the water. Nobody cares. You're dead, you know, and, um, and then if you have a crappy director that can't rein you in, that can't say, like, it's fantastic that you can cry on on cue, that's brilliant, but it's inappropriate for this scene. If you don't have a director that's thinking about the scene, then you end up looking like a fool. Like that great movie, did you see Casting By? No. Oh, there was such a great moment with... Um, 
I'm so bad at names. I no, really, I, I'm a face. I never guy. even heard of Casting By. I usually know most of these movies. I never... It's a documentary that sort of um, hails oh, okay. this one casting director that really did discover many of our greatest stars today, right? Marion Doherty. I think it's one HBO or some of those things. I think I've seen it. Or yeah, I've, I, I know the name now that you said it. I was thinking casting. I, I thought it was like not a documentary. I was like... Not like fishing casting. I just, oh, okay. oh, I don't know, oh, but right, casting, right. okay. Well, anyway, there's a famous actor on there who um, sobbed and sobbed. He brought all his personal life into the scene, and he thought it was so great. And the way they cut it, it they had it on the other actor. And then when they cut back to him, he was like dripping with snot and tears, and, and the whole audience laughed. See, that's... Like, and here he thought this was this most extraordinary moment. I mean, I, I've... I've had moments like that as well where I'm like, wow, not an actor's medium. It's not. It's television and film, it's tricks of the trade. I mean, to a certain respect it is, you have to be able to walk and talk and have somebody believe that you're going to do it. But, um, yeah, you you really need great writing and a great director. And if as long as that's not valued in our setup, we're going to be having just crappy show after crappy show after crappy show, I'm, and they're going to get their ass beat by shows that has that have set themselves up properly, like you know Family Guy, writer director wins, like you know Modern Family, writing and directing, you know, and I'll tell you um, a good show. I don't know if you saw it this year on FX called The Bridge. Oh, really? Very well written. And oh, it's nice. Very, it's very dark. You like it. Okay, the whole, good. The whole format is, it's a bridge between El Paso and uh, Juarez, Mexico. And there's two police, and the one guy is this, uh, the actor is a Mexican, uh, he was nominated for an Oscar, a Mexican actor who no one really knows up here. And the girl is um, Kruger, who was the blonde in Inglorious Bastards, Diane Kruger. Oh, yeah. And her character has Asperger's a little bit, but she's a detective. And they find a body on the bridge, and then the... Mexican cop is like, yeah, take it. I don't care. You know, we have enough dead people. Well, it turns out the body is half Mexican on the Mexican side. Someone sewed two bodies together and half uh, American. So now they have to work together. Very same thing. Very well written. And then, nice. You know, you that is right in my wheelhouse. It's, it's it's good. And it's just, I mean, it just this was the first season, and you you watch it, and it's dark. But it's it's the writing that makes it good. It's not they're not the actors are perfect in their roles because they're great actors, but they have a great you can tell it's just great words to work with yeah i mean that's breaking bad come on hey, I just, breaking I, bad it just killed me it just killed me same with the sopranos you know these kinds of shows i mean it's just so unbelievable to me that people in the industry have to learn that the hard way that lesson it's all cable it's all the cable shows that do it it's it's, it's none of the it's none of the network anymore because they're they've got their feet and hands in, in their in the pie stay out if you were a great network executive hire extraordinarily talented uh, writer directors um and back the uh, back off Back off and let them do their thing. You know what I mean? Don't presume you know about film and television because you've picked, you're a, a network executive and you've sat in offices. Right. And, you know, I'll probably never work again, whatever. But I'm saying I, the presumption, like I had, I wrote a song for a show and uh, and then they came back with, they wanted me to rewrite the song. That's fine. But then they came back and said the actresses had a bunch of ideas for the lyrics. It's like you're not a singer. You're not that for the like, actress. The actress isn't a singer. You're you the singer-songwriter. I was so out of my mind. They caught me at a wrong time. I was out of my mind. I was in the Whole Foods. I'm like, you got to be flipping. 
I was so outraged that the actresses had lyric ideas on my song. It's my song. It's, I found it so, like, how dare they? Yeah. You don't write lyrics. You haven't written lyrics since you were in the sixth grade. You haven't lived this song. You're going to rewrite the lyric to mine. I found it outrageous. And then I, I had an attorney, and she's like, Kathleen business you know what i mean you want to make money they paid you for it honey but it still it's pisses a business you off. yeah but still like what a thing for me to grandstand on when all i want is for my songs to be out there and sung they're not i'm they're not doing any good sitting on my computer you know what i mean it was it was such a bad business move which i could go back in my career why aren't i more famous you could see bonehead move after bonehead move of me refusing to just suck it up and go What's to work. It, is, it, is it stubbornness? Do you think is that what it is? Or it's just a pride in your work? Pride. You, you sit there and go, no, I don't want this. I mean, I know how, you know, I, people do that all the time, but I mean, was, are you just a stubborn person at heart? You're like, or you just sit there and go, I wrote this, I wrote this piece of work, it's mine, and a lot of times if you write something, and I've written before, it's a, with comedy and stuff, it's like your baby. I mean, I optioned a screenplay years ago when I was first out here, and you know, there's came up these ideas, and I, it was a crappy option. Like, I didn't have any money, but I was like, I was only in town for a little bit. And you're like, wait a second. You know, it's like, you don't get it, but then you're sitting there going, well, you know what? You have to do it, but it sort of sucks. It does suck, but I think that to uh, operate thinking that it's not a business... <laughs> and that those executives have the power and authority to greenlight or or kill right any of your creativity like i don't think those producers are ever going to ask for another one of my songs I, they caught me at a bad moment. I, I'm a person that definitely needs to have a buffer representative <laughs> between me and the man. Do you have a because, bad buffer? Uh, no, I don't now, but it doesn't matter because I think I'm long in the tooth and... I feel like I'm walking into the sunset to a certain respect, which is sad, but just I just have not been getting any jobs. And I try out, and I have a lot of opportunities and just have not been getting gigs. So a lot of people say it's my age, you know, that I'm caught between. I'm not really an old granny yet, and I'm kind of too old to be, like, mother of youngsters. You know, I have teenagers. Um, and the, the, the mothers of teenagers, they're casting like 38, 39-year-olds, and I'm not that. Right. So um, which is funny. Which is things. funny because like, I, when, I said, when I went to my, my 30-year-old reunion and I see on Facebook, a lot of my friends who are my age, because I just turned 50 a uh, week ago, a lot of my friends have, you know, who are my age, have 12-year-olds, have 14-year-olds. I don't know a lot of guys who, even on Facebook... The kids, I, people I know who are 31, 32, 30, they have like six-year-olds. So that's the thing that Hollywood misses because it's like, it's not, there's not young parents. If you put someone on a TV show who's like a successful lawyer, you know what? You're not going to be 38 with a teenage kid because that means you had the kid when you were 22 and you were in freaking law school. It's like now people wait to have kids and the people who are successful, that's why they could have kids. And that's why Hollywood misses out a lot because it's like, I watch commercials, I go, there's no way that young guy's living in that house with that daughter at that age it's bullcrap right but they also want to hire beautiful people you can't compare this always kills me when they showed there was on on a facebook somebody had shown a thing where they had all rock stars when they were young and what they look like now right bruce springsteen sting david bowie like these kind of guys and in my mind i was like boy that's so 
cru- of course they look better in their 20s. Right. No, you know what I mean? You can't compare a 50-year-old woman to a 30-year-old, 38-year-old. Did you graduate high school in 1982? Yes. Me too. We were in the same class. See that? I was just a June girl and you're a, an October guy. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all like, it was the timing and when you so, started back east. Right. So you were in the ninth grade when Saturday Night Fever came out. Yes, because my brother was a senior and he was a disco because he had the ah, hair and the chin. And they called him the discos. And he like <laughs> and I remember I was I had advanced math classes. And I remember I didn't do good in geometry, so I had to go to summer school. And one girl was like, "Oh my god, you 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 Tom Tom Cooper's younger brother. Oh my god, my friend Debbie Angelini loves him. She's in love with him." And I'm like. Great, I'm like, yeah, great. But yeah, so I was that, that age. Oh my God, I spent my whole life being Gary and Wendy Wilhoit's little sister. That's funny. Yeah, they were like surfer, beautiful, attractive, and I was just sunburnt and in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Total dork. But, anyway, I want to talk to you about your music. Now, and it's funny because I looked at your website, and but back in June, you played at Bob's Espresso. Oh, I do that because Bob's my buddy. Bob's you know. been on the show. Oh, he has, Bob yeah. Romanis. Yeah, he's a great guy. I, I, I was, we went, it's so funny. I don't know where his, sh- I want to stop by, and I don't know, I don't know exactly where it is in Lancashire because I was like we went me and my girlfriend went to Avita the other night and we drive oh. over and we take the subway and that's right on Lancashire and I'm looking I'm like where the hell is this thing I don't I don't know is it near the subway station you know Bob? yeah yeah it's between uh, Magnolia and uh, Chandler and it's I right across it. the street from that theater okay from I, that big movie theater okay I must yeah. have just missed it it's okay. a tiny tiny hole in the wall joint I play there because he asked me to and um and it's fun and it's no pressure because he's so sweet. Do you enjoy playing live? I mean, cause I do. I mean, I do. I, uh, I have to go through a whole rigmarole cause I don't have like a, I play with my friends and whoever's available gets to play the gig. Whoever's closest to my phone book or whatever. And there, uh, my friends happen to be extraordinarily talented musicians. That's just who I hang out with. And uh, and so I get like, hey, you guys want to do this gig? And they say, sure. Um, and so I have to construct my set to be songs that they might know or that they can pick up quickly. Um, and I also feel like I have to sort of tuck away my uh, uh, perfectionist a little bit. I have, and then also the rehearsal process. They don't want to rehearse very much. So they work and they're in the music industry and. So they're happy to have like a rehearsal on the day gig that night. Right. But as a front man, that's a little, that's scary. So um, anyway. So it. you write, you, uh, you play all originals or do you something? Yeah, I do. I, I write songs. That's, I've been writing songs since, like I said, I was 10 Six. years old. Like I just write songs. My dad writes songs. It's just in me. It's just something I do. So I do all my my original material, and uh, sometimes I do covers, but mostly just my own. What's one? What would be a cover you would do? If you were to do a cover, what would be a cover you would? Do? Oh, you know what I did? A really good version of uh, uh, the um, uh, Alleluia. Okay. Alleluia. Uh, what was his name? Jeff uh, Buckley. Yeah, it's, he didn't write it. It was right. uh, um, written by. It's. Pitiful, I can't think it's of that. It's all right. It's all right. I, I, I but said uh, yeah, I did a really cool version of that. And uh, let's see, I do a, I do when you wish upon a star. And, okay. And so I do a couple of. And the songs you write are they folky or because I see you in the picture, you with an acoustic guitar. Panty rock. Well, what, explain panty rock. Panty rock. Um, I would say like bluesy, folky. Oh, you know who I got turned on to recently that I I they're gonna play here in December. To dusky trucks. Do you know about them? Oh, 
Good. Fantastic guitar playing. I like a slide guitar. I like um, acoustic guitar. I like uh, Tom Waits style piano, old clunky piano, uh, lyric oriented, lyric driven. But I sing. Um, I. I, I, I like to sing, so it's not, I can't pretend that I don't, that I'm so lyrically invested that I don't enjoy a, warbling a tune. So, Do you perform a lot now or just every once in a no, while? No, I perform when they ask me. My buddy, uh, Matt Epstein, owns uh, Vitello, so sometimes they call and ask me to play there. I should perform more. I think that would be great. My issue is that I end up paying a babysitter more money than I make, you know? Right. And I, I, I run a communist organization. I pay everybody. If they're going to give me 1000 bucks to play somewhere, then I'm going to divide that evenly up amongst my band. See, that's good, though. I You're, think that's the way to go. Because they're rehearsing for free. These are pros. The people who play with me are professionals. They're super talented. So that's what I can offer. Do you have any CDs or... Yeah, I got a CD. You can get my stuff on iTunes. You know what I would love to plug? Can I plug one thing? Yeah, yeah. We have, we have three and a half minutes. Okay, plug good. Whatever you plug whatever Plug I, everything. I am doing a podcast that I love, which is called Suck the Joy. So Google Suck the Joy, S-U-C-K-T-H-E-J-O-Y, or www.suckthejoy.com. And uh, I've really had a great time with that and uh, do very much what you're doing with me here. It's nice to be on this side of the microphone. So you host Suck the Joy. Yeah, with my buddy, Corey and we do all sorts of things I've interviewed people um, it's not, not just like interviewing actors that uh, work but I've also interviewed a friend of mine who spent some time in jail and she came on and didn't use her real name so we got like the the inside scoop of what it's like to be in you know jail for an extended period of time and I've interviewed you know we do all sorts of stuff and sometimes we don't have guests and we just talk about politics or whatever we think of a topic but I've really enjoyed the process so I, I yeah, get I, I want to listen why to you it, like to do I just, this I just started listening to other shows I really didn't listen to a lot just because I don't know, I just never. I have other things going on, but then I just said I gotta start listening. And one I like is uh, uh, Barry Katz. The, oh, I don't know that one. You know Barry Katz? I only listen to WTF, This American Life, The Momo Show, which is my friend, and our show. Well, his is Barry Katz is the industry standard, and that's uh, he's the, he used to be the head of New Wave Entertainment. Oh, great! And he has all like he had Andy Ackerman on and Peter Engel and all these great guests. And Barry was on my show when I first started out. Just a really good storyteller. So I was listening to it, and and, and it's good. You get to hear these things, and it's like I know what's going on so i can keep you know i mean i do my own style but i always like to hear it because i like you know if i'll, if I'll take a bath i have my little galaxy tablet and I'll, I put it on, I'll put it on but then if i want to run run more hot water i can't hear the damn thing because the galaxy doesn't get loud i'm like god damn it and my girlfriend's like what are you yelling at i'm like the damn thing she's like are you talking to him? anyway i want to thank you so much for coming on oh Kathleen. what a pleasure uh, i have, gotta uh, listen to your show now i'm gonna have uh, five shows the website do you have a website to give out um suckthejoy.com okay. i i think is a website that you know go on there and check it out i you can go on kathleen wilhoyt i don't update it I, okay. something i should and should and don't shoot on your friends. Do you? Uh, do you? Um, I should. I need to get a website going. I. We tweet? had a casting director on the show, and she's like, "You really should." Have. Do you tweet? I'm just starting. I've got like some followers. I'm at the real Kathleen W. 
the real Kathleen. Di- well, just type in the name and search Kathleen Wilhite, and it's W I L H O I T E. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, people, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. I tweet a lot of jokes. Um, also, uh, my website CooperTalk.net. I have about 199 episodes up there. In fact, uh, next week, tomorrow or Thursday, Kate Flannery will be my 200th episode on iTunes. Go to iTunes and type in Cooper Talk one word, same for Stitcher Radio. Email me at Cooper Indy 100. INDIE100.com. Keep listening. Also, listen to WSDIChicago.com. It's uh, Steve Benz. They play me on Wednesday nights. But you've heard the show if you hear it there. So I want to thank you. I want to thank Kathleen. Go check her out. Follow her on Twitter. Go check out the Suck It. Suck the Joy. Suck the Joy podcast. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Remember, drink your water, take your vitamins, and eat your veggies. You guys have a wonderful weekend. It's time for me to get lunch. I'm not sure what I'm going to have, but it's going to be healthy. Have a wonderful day.